This is Counterculture with Marie Busky. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture. You're here with Marie. And this morning I welcome back my educational guru, Kelly Veludos from the ARC Education. How are you, Kelly? I'm fine, thank you. I'm just laughing at the educational guru. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are. This is, this is, you're, a, you're a frequent flyer here on Counterculture. And I love it because you, there is such a wealth of information. And one of the topics that we keep parking after the last two conversations has been homeschooling. And yes. feedback has come back asking around homeschooling. Homeschooling, I know, is a passion of yours. It's a core of the ARC education. So... Tell me about a survey that you have done recently and what have been some of the things and observations with this explosion of homeschooling we've seen in recent years? Absolutely. Um, I sent out the survey um, just as a general look at why homeschooling has exploded in the last two years and and to see if, if in fact that is true. It was incredibly interesting. You know, usually you send out a survey and you're lucky to get 10 replies. I got 23 replies within the first hour and we've got over 70 in the end, um, which was really, really quite big response for not a very long time. It's been an interesting survey, to be honest. Part of the survey was to see when people had started homeschooling or unschooling. 40.5% have started in the last year, oh, sorry, two years, and 10.8% have started in the last year. Yeah, so that's That's over 50% who have come into homeschooling or unschooling in the last couple of years. Well, I mean, wasn't the number, was it 2020, 2020 to 2021, something like a 400% increase yeah. in homeschooling numbers? I mean, look, off a small base, I understand, but that just shows you how many parents are dissatisfied and disillusioned with the current situation. Just- yeah, and the system. So what are the main drivers for those parents to pull their kids out of the state system and start teaching from home? So it was really, really, it's been really, really interesting to see what those main drivers are. Just, um, I thought what was really interesting as well is that there were 11 trained teachers who have pulled their, t- their kids out in just in this little sample. So these teachers who are realizing that the system isn't isn't right for the for kids but there's a really strong trend to show that there's a enormous lack of trust in the public education system there's a lot of thinking around indoctrination 50 people out of the 74 that did the survey put five for I feel that the current system is indoctrinating our children. So there's a definite mistrust and worry about how our kids are being indoctrinated at school. Whether that's true or not, that is the perceived truth or that's the perceived idea about what's happening. Most thought that school had become a, a redundant institution 
the current curriculum, over half, in fact, two-thirds of the survey respondents believe that the curriculum changes have been inappropriate. Many, 61 had five and five had four, which they were uncomfortable with the ideology of gender, sexuality and politics being promoted in school. So these are hu- that that is a huge factor, deciding factor. Many of them didn't feel that their kids were safe at school. Funny enough, their kids didn't think that they were they were unsafe, but they felt that their kids mm. were unsafe. The majority of the respondents, actually half of the respondents, or just over half, um, didn't have any religious convictions. So it wasn't it wasn't that the fact that they're Christian or whatever other religion that that they were finding it difficult for their children. Mm. That's, um, that's actually a really interesting number because uh, we know that the particularly the modern Christian church has been quite, and even actually the more traditionals too, have been very instrumental and have been very strong in the space. I mean, I've said it many times before, my boys are with mm. the Catholics, uh, <laughs> and the Catholics are probably the oldest religious group who have been working with education. And unlike uh, other traditional integrated, state integrated schools with special character, the Catholic, it is, the boys go to mass, it is actually, there is no escaping the fact that you are at a Catholic school. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And my boys are in the minority as non-Catholics there. It is restricted, you know, they have a certain number of non-preferential places, but Mm. it is, you know, very much so. However, uh, there are a lot of schools that I think transitioned from that charter space into yes. state space who were like, for example, the Seven Day Adventists. The, Seven Day Adventists. The, yeah, the, yes. the Brethren's. I know at my day job, yeah. I've, um, there's a Brethren school, my neighbor teaches there, and they're lovely kids. They quite often come through and do surveys and stuff. The Brethren and, schools are actually incredible. <laughs> yeah. There's one here in, in Palmerston North that. Um, I have been to, and um, their spaces are ultra, ultra modern. They have a completely different way of teaching as well. It's all done very, very, in a very modern paradigm shifting way, actually. It's interesting. You, is, yeah. Well, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, literally over the fence, she teaches at the school and she is not brethren. She's not with faith. And I no. said, how do you find that? She said it is the best teaching job she mm-hmm. has ever, ever had. had. Yes. Said they're incredible. I think the brethren actually, I don't think that they're state integrated. No, they're I fully they're, private. They're fully private. And you can tell that. Mm. You can tell that, which is really interesting because a lot of the Steiner schools have completely lost their character since they became state integrated. Steiner used to be sort of the haven of us, and I put this in quotations, hippies. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess that's that. That is the double-edged sword, isn't it? it I know. Is. Again, it Steiner is. was a, an option that we looked at seri- seriously, and yeah, the challenges I think they faced again as fiscal because to be mm-hmm. fully private, there is a cost attendant to that, yes. and. With a number of the families attending, I think, Steiner schools, 
it's a challenge and they were really struggling the schools were struggling uh, yes. to get people paying i think you know the fee particularly the donations which to make a school like that work you have to do and you can't enforce those and you know and it's exactly. and so on and so forth it's it is really really difficult for that funding and i i, I fell for this and you're right i feel for the steiner schools because i think mm-hmm. with all the best will in the world they would still be completely independent but but they they can't be or they they weren't able to be but it has definitely affected the whole Steiner ethos um, mm. because they are now beholden to the state in a very real, real yeah. form. I think it's great that in that private space and not private schools like we think of private schools, but no. um, but in that very small independent school base, yes. the modern Christianity has actually really created quite a niche there. And yeah. they're doing great work and they're providing excellent education mm. and they're mm. giving families an option. And from what I have seen and have spoken to other parents who have tried um, or have children in that space, they don't close that space off to non-Christian children, which yeah, I think yeah. is really wonderful. They're fully inclusive uh, to anyone that wants to attend. So, I, you know, that, so that is certainly an option. So that's interesting. Carry yeah. on. I, I on a tangent. <laughs> well, uh, well Kelly, I so- you weren't, weren't so much on a tangent because one of the questions I asked was, would you send your child to private school if you could afford it? And only three people said yes. Really? Strongly yes. Yeah. Absolutely, which was really, really interesting. I'm not sure if that's because... Oh, sorry. Oh, two people said yeah, strongly yes, and five said four, which was yeah. probably, but you know, not as strongly as as definitely. It kind of shows that perhaps number one that people think that private schools are perhaps an extension to the state schools, or are still beholden to state school or to the state. I'm not sure. Or perhaps they were thinking about it being a state-integrated school rather than private. But when I say private school, I mean something like the one school, which is the Brethren, mm. or the Brethren thing. Yeah, well, I I mean, I know here there's, there's a number of Christian schools here in, in, in the Bay, and uh, one of them, which is a year 1 to 13 school, they have a waiting list. I had two staff that were trying to get their children in there and it was mm. difficult because the places were limited whenever yeah. I talk to anybody that are in- interacts with different schools I've got a friend who worked in recruitment for this um, services for a while and I said to her she used to every year you know you do the recruitment drives and you uh, go around and talk to the kids and you do all of that and I said to her I said oh you know in terms of all the kids who are the most engaged who do you enjoy going to talk to and she's every single time she said um, Hastings Christian School every time She's yes. they're amazing. Yeah, it's it is really interesting. I mean, I look at the devolution of charter schools, mm. and I think Alwyn Paul is someone that's spoken about this quite a lot. It's quite detrimental <coughs> because it took away choice, parental choice, for so many. Do you, are you seeing that, or are you what's uh, having been in this space for a while? Yeah, I was a little bit confused, I guess, 
around the whole charter school debate in that I completely understood that having a charter school would mean that there wouldn't be it meant a letting go of how can I say of regulation actually and um, and at the time being a teacher in the system realizing that well I thought at the time that there had to be some kind of regulation and and bloody bloody blood but actually now <laughs> I have evolved to the point where I actually think charter schools would have been a bloody good idea. Mm. Um, there's some really strongly successful examples in the US, one of them being actually there was a film made, I think I might have mentioned it before, called Most Likely to Succeed. That was based at a charter school. You could see how their ability to do to teach the way they wanted to teach absolutely fitted with the kids that were there. The parents at first were really afraid of whether their kids would get into college or not, and because their everything is very, very regulated, you know, qualifications are everything, much like it is here at the moment. What the interesting thing was that those kids that went to that school and actually applied to go to college, I think 98% of them actually got in with flying colours, even though they had not been taught the yes. <laughs> college entry curriculum. Mm. So, so, so from your survey, how many parents indicated, I mean, you mentioned ideologies, but how many parents would have been someone like, for example, in my situation, mm -hmm. uh, we did a little bit of homeschooling in the initial stages with our son. It's like an ex really an extension to his yeah. early childhood. So he didn't actually start school until he was six. So we waited. Yeah. Mm. And um, to that point, which most parents don't do, don't but do, he no. was not ready. In fact, to be honest, he really wasn't ready to be there until he was about <laughs> nine. But um, <laughs> So how many were like us that had kids that had additional needs yes. that just were not being met within the state system? So that was really, really interesting because three and upwards, uh, there were only one uh, three, four, four people who didn't agree with this, and this was my children's needs cannot be, were not met at a public school. The rest all believed that their kids' needs weren't met. Mm. That's massive. Um, it's massive, absolutely massive. And the interesting thing was, and I can't read all the comments, but and I won't read them because it's also not, you know, these people mm. have done it out Privately, of uh, yeah. private, uh, you know, anonymously. I would say that at least um, probably coming up to half of them said that they pulled their children out because they were neurodiverse and weren't learning at school and were being bullied. Yeah, and did you see, there was actually a, an article on the papers recently about a girl who hasn't been in school for a year. It was because of bullying and she can't, and the mother can't get her into school. She can't yeah. find a school that will take her. This kid is just losing hope. I mean, it's just shocking. It's, it is shocking. You know, I would say that many of them too 
more than half were afraid of the indoctrination. A lot of them started homeschooling after uh, once the mandates had been established because of masking and obviously because of vaccination policies and and the fear that their their children would be lured into being vaccinated. What was really interesting, Marie, is how because it was it was interesting in that the existing homeschooling community were fairly underrepresented in this in the survey, showing that they were quite reluctant to take the survey, even though it was spread out, you know, far and wide. But those that did had a real strong resentment towards the new the new homeschoolers. Why do you think that is? I'm not entirely sure. I think for a lot of homeschoolers who were in the community before all COVID and, and everything sort of got exposed and brought up, brought to the fore, they've got a feeling of their independence or their their ability to function was hard fought. They have exemptions. They've got the trust, the trust, and I put trust in quotation in inverted commas. They've got the trust of the ministry, and they're feeling that all these newcomers <laughs> are just activists who are going to make the ministry mistrust the whole system and the whole community. It's just a very interesting dynamic that I noticed. Mm. Um, originally, the homeschooling community is quite insular mm. and very defensive of their community and the way they do things, which uh, I, I don't think can be blamed on anything other than the fact that they have always been seen as an alternative rather than a legitimate way of educating if that makes sense yeah you know no, uh, they've they've kind of been outliers yeah and now with all this <laughs> this influx of people going we're we're not happy with the system we're going to do this without children there's a lot of resentment i think and a lot of fear around whether they will tip the boat <laughs> Do you think that there is worry that they may bring some of the institutionalised thinking into what is essentially a fairly free-range scenario? And, and, and I say free-range yeah. free when it's actually not. I mean, I've interacted a bit with the homeschooling communities over the last 20 years because of my the day job. I work in the handcraft mm. industry, so uh, mm. handwork and those sorts of traditional crafts are really big. Within, they are very uh, yeah, within the homeschooling network. So I have inter um, interacted with them. I've gone and done demonstrations. That they actually have their own coalesced sort of family and, and study groups and social groups to give they those do. kids the interactions. They're really very well organised. They are. And a lot of them work within the anthroposophical 
ideologies yes. anyway. They use anyway, that as a framework, yeah. but they don't they do. want to go into an organised Steiner school or it's not available yeah. or whatever the reasons may be. And a lot of them I also know work very much in what I call the traditional Western canon. So they teach yeah. the fundamentals of Western and classical philosophies yes. as yes. a core. As a core, yeah. It, what's interesting around this is that 83.8% of the people who who did this um, survey all have exemptions from the ministry. So that's the majority in a big way. And the, the rest are either replying and there's only one or two, literally, who have no intention of applying for an exemption. And I think that was the biggest fear amongst the existing homeschooling community was that there was a whole lot of activists who were going to come into the community and derail the whole thing because they were going to refuse to get exemptions. And that's not true by all intents and purposes with this survey. Well, that's encouraging, though. It, means it is encouraging. Because if it, they're going through the – so let's start, people, from the beginning. If someone's listening to this, they're getting – because we're getting towards the end of the, the sticky end of the school year. Yeah. They've, uh, they're have they fed up with what's going mm-hmm. on and what they're seeing, mm-hmm. and they're thinking, actually, I, I've got the time or I want to put this time in to my kids. Yeah. How, how does the process start? You can pull your kids out and start homeschooling them. <laughs> immediately and apply and then apply for an applet for an exemption but you've got to be prepared to be facing a few truancy officers and things like that so usually what happens is and this is just from people I've spoken to who have intended to homeschool it would be a good idea to start now if you intend to homeschool your kids next year and put in an application saying why you want to homeschool and saying that you don't agree with the system isn't good enough they will not give you an exemption for that an exemption is actually quite a a convoluted process to be honest you have to demonstrate that you are capable, number one, of giving your child an education that is equal to, if not better than, a school education. And therefore, you have to put in a year plan um, and you have to put in goals and attainment markers, attainment markers and things like mm-hmm. that. There's not a lot of follow up from the ministry at the moment but there is some so Aero do um, randomly pick a few homeschooling families and will go in and check what they're doing and they basically represent the rest of the community so you do have to have a plan you can't just go in there thinking all right I'm just going to do whatever I like even if the plan is just for the ministry. Yeah, it's ticking the box. It's ticking the box. There are people who have said, bugger that, I don't want anything to do with the system, I don't even want to be in the system, Um, and who have pulled their kids out and are just basically battling the system. Obviously, that's people's choice. I do know of some who have 
subscribe to a different jurisdiction because there is a different jurisdiction in this country. <laughs> well, it's yeah, and it's actually it's interesting you say that, and uh, you and I know a bit more about that the most, but I think I've mentioned uh, the young man that goes to school and is friends with my young lads, and he had that crippling anxiety, and that was part mm. of the truancy and yep. the attainment attendance, rather, that we discussed way back at beginning. Yes. Now, he's actually, uh, is great because, Catholics, you know, they spoke to him and they said, right, we need to find a solution. And he, mm -hmm. they ended up getting him via correspondence and core studies yes. to still be able to study at home. But they also hooked him up through the Wananga. Uh, so the local iwi mm -hmm. had a set up had for a students set up for that they mm -hmm. could take out into the Māori ju jurisdiction. And he's hooked, even though he's non-Māori, he's actually hooked into that. So he can still study at home. He's still doing all his work. All there, at home. but there is that oversight, that umbrella from, from the wānanga. So that's yes. another option so that, for people. That is another option. So uh, there is the option of going with Te Kura, the correspondence school, which is actually the biggest school in New Zealand now. There's thousands and thousands of um, students who have gone with Te Kura. If your child is 16 and over, it is free. If not, you still have to get an exemption to be able to go to Te Kura, whether sometimes they do a blended thing with kids going to school for some of the time, and, but that's a dual enrolment. So when, when, if you do decide to go with Te Kura, you actually have to enroll with them and you are, if you do it through, you know, completely if you're going to be doing school completely through them, you you get unenrolled in the school that you're at and you get enrolled with them. There is a slight cost. I think there is some cost to it there um, below 16. You do have options. You do have options. But it's not a, just a matter of pulling your kid out of school and homeschooling. You do have to think about it and plan for it and decide what tolerance you have for <laughs> for being regulated because you probably will get truancy on your doorstep if you just pull them out. If you take your child off the roll of one school, you have three weeks and then the truancy officer will start coming to you saying, well, where is your school, is your child enrolled with someone else? That's the regulatory um, obligation, I guess. If you want to stand in your sovereignty and say, you know, I, I'm not part of the state or whatever, then that is an option. I haven't heard of anybody actually doing that yet, and it would be really interesting to hear from anyone if they have, if they've managed to stand in their sovereignty and say, get lost, <laughs> I'm doing what I want with my children. Think about plan ahead, think about how uh, making an application because the applications are taking months, up to six months I've heard at the moment because because of the volume of them. I know that in 2020, I think before the lockdowns, they were they were um, processing about eight a month. By the end of 2021, 
they had application. I think they had nine hundred applications. Yeah, so they'd need in, to get through them in the December of twenty twenty one. And the other side of it too is it's not just making that decision to pull your kid out, but yeah. you've not got that that cushion yes. of dropping them off at nine o'clock and picking them up at three o'clock, and essentially Absolutely. you can work or do whatever it is that you did in that time mm. period, mm. whilst you don't necessarily need to be teaching between nine and three with your child. No. There is still a time commitment there, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. There is. I mean, there's so many advantages to homeschooling. I I know that a lot of homeschool students actually can uh, have applied for university at 16 because they've had, they've managed to, to get their NCEA level three within that time and they do exceptionally well and that that's because of the small small numbers number one and and focused focused work you know um that some people don't agree with the curriculum at all and um don't care whether their kids get NCEA level one, two, or three, and that that's fine too. You know, I've I've heard of some amazing stories of incredibly creative entrepreneurs coming from the homeschooling community that never go to university or any of the formal institutions. And actually, that just kind of puts a nail in the coffin for me around that whole culture of qualification. You know, you've you've got to go to university or do a course and get a piece of paper to say that you're qualified for something. Actually, that's not true. It's not true. I know several teachers who are highly, highly qualified and cannot teach to save their lives or the children that they're teaching. It, it means nothing a lot of the time. You know, some people are just born to do things. Mm. Some people are just born to build. Some people are born to teach or or those sorts of things. So this kind of brings us around to this whole need for a paradigm shift in education. Mm. And I think with the homeschooling community or the homeschooling space, there's that, that room to be able to shift that paradigm and allow the kids if if you're not in that whole traditional space but allow the kids to be exactly who they're meant to be yeah and it's interesting you say shifting the paradigm you know in the time that i've been you know going the grist through the mill as as a, yes. from a child through to an adult there has been quite a shift educationally to mm popping kids into this educational sausage factory and that you have to sort of reach these so-called milestones in order Mm -hmm. to actually achieve anything when you come out at the other end. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm somebody who academically did very, very well at school, but I never went to university. Now, it wasn't through lack of desire. It was actually through, I was (laughs) right on that cusp of age where um, they flipped from free university education to, to paid. And I just was from a fit. We could not afford to pay. And the whole thought of borrowing money for education for me and for my family was like, what? You know, you don't do that. So I didn't do it. Yeah. And I went down on a different pathway. Now, 
I do, I have done just fine. Fine, exactly. And to the point exactly. that, by, you know, in my 20s, in my mid-20s, I got a role that was what was a marketing graduate role. Mm. And they had been advertising for that role for ages. They couldn't find the right person. They didn't get the right fit. I put in an application that was quite left field, which was mm. obviously what they were looking what for. What they were looking for. Got the interview and they said, you know, what are your qualifications? Oh, you know, I did this at high school. And they're like, well, what about university? No, I didn't do that. But I've been working a lot. You know, I've been working for years. Mm. And I have. Yeah. And they, they took a punt on me. And, you know, from that moment onwards, Tertiary education was irrelevant for any other job that I went went for. And I'm seeing that yeah. now yeah. starting to happen again. I'm seeing employers. I've spoken to friends who employ people. Mm-hmm. And one of them said, oh, if I get an application in, if I see that, you know, certain levels of um, education that they've done, it goes straight in the bin. Said I don't even entertain it. You know why? Because a lot of them, unfortunately, this is this is and and it's it's this completely systemic problem that's come from that goes from primary school all the way through to tertiary education, is that that compliance and control, that overregulated thinking, overregulated. I see it in my daughter, who's actually at university at the moment who's always been a little bit of a pariah in, in the system like her mother has been um, in that she's she asks questions that curly questions, I know, exactly, <laughs> but really curly questions sometimes. But I'm, I'm noticing that at university we sometimes come to loggerheads like because I'll say to her, oh, well, have you thought about, this, this, and this. No, she, she'll say to me, no, you know, it's like this, this, and this. And I'll go, well, is it? And I'm noticing how little curiosity and discovery that they put into our university students. I went to university. I was lucky enough to go to university. And my university days, Mind you, I did go to a very left-wing university in apartheid South Africa <laughs> at the time, so they, they were very out of the box anyway, but we were made to question. We were made to question. We were encouraged to, to go and look and find out and experience, you know, um, whereas that is not happening today. Most of lectures and things are online now. Since, you know, tertiary education became beholden to the mighty dollar, the quality of education has completely and utterly collapsed because they're beholden to the mighty dollar Mm -hmm. and they teach what they're told to teach so that they get the money. Yeah. Um, And I wonder too how much of that is the degradation of those classic liberal arts courses, you know, so now like Mr. Marie at the moment is going back and doing a new degree. So he's retraining. Yeah. Uh, now she, there's been a sort of a 30, a 35 year break between, um, <laughs> or 30 year break since you yeah. know, yeah. first yeah. time round to 2.0. Yeah. So he's seeing a bit of a paradigm shift himself. I bet he is. Oh my goodness, <laughs> he he most certainly is. And there are some days he comes in. Now he's studying fully remotely. 
he's a natural studier like for him fully remote study isn't a problem at all in fact it's probably his preferred option yeah honestly every second day he will come in he's got his little shed I call it his little shed that he (laughs) goes off to and and studies and and he'll come in and he'll be he's like oh and he'll show me stuff and the level of yeah as you say uh lack of curiosity now he's Mm -hmm. To be fair, studying a discipline which isn't high in curiosity, but he said it is. There are some times that it's so doctrinal, yes, mm-hmm. that he he said it's cringeworthy. Mm. He said there are times that he sits in different tutorials or things online, or they have questions that are asked, mm. and he said he just has to sit on his hands and not say anything because mm-hmm. he knows that every now and then he'll see a student that does. And within the forums that they'll get shouted down. And an example, I mean, this is a really simple example, but in one of the courses he did, which was quite a large course, it was an introductory course, mathematics. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought it was (laughs) particularly controversial. Well, so we thought, but I'm going to read something else to you in a second. One of the uh, people in the forum requested uh, they were based at the campus they had a campus in Auckland and said Mm -hmm. are there any other students doing this course that would like to create a study group Mm -hmm. so we can actually work and discuss and study in person yeah I would have thought that that was quite an innocent request yeah very well no apparently not that is being a uh, you he was oh I actually don't know whether it was a he because the username was um non-binary they they (laughs) were told that that was being exclusionary and yes that was being exclusionary that they shouldn't be able to go off and create their own separate study group because they weren't being fully inclusive to everyone in the group and not everyone is physically in the same location so therefore uh, they were being exclusionary and not being completely inclusive to everyone on the course and and essentially got shouted down into the forum to the point where this poor person sort of clammed up and, and didn't say anything. My husband was appalled. At oh, this. that is appalling. Unfortunately, that is the woke culture that we we live in at the moment. Um, the ridiculous <laughs> ridiculousness of the situation is abhorrent, to be honest. We're not allowed to organise ourselves in any way, shape or form in case we actually show them up, I think. Yeah. Well, this is this is something that has come from the curriculum for mathematics. Now, I don't know whether, yeah. I, I think this is just in the general curriculum. Yes. And this is a quote. So this is new. Really? It is new. Glad you're yes. sitting down. I think you, I think you know <laughs> what I'm going to read out. Yes. A critical maths pedagogy, <laughs> yeah, pedagogical approach, okay. uses maths to develop critical awareness about wider social, environmental, political, ideological, and economic issues. Critical maths recognises the importance of understanding, interpreting, and addressing issues of power, social justice, and equity in the community and the wider world. Our konga are encouraged to interrogate dominant discourses and assumptions, including that maths is benign, neutral, and culture-free. <laughs> I call bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> Uh, and in the in being somebody it's so that paradoxical what, because if you listen to it, you think, oh well, actually that that's 
that's true. You know, you, you shouldn't be learning maths just for maths. And that is true. But that what that's actually saying is that you should be questioning through maths. You should be questioning the, the narrative. But in actual fact, you don't question the narrative. You prove it. You you have to prove the narrative. Yeah. It, it it's a complete and utter paradoxical nonsense, isn't it? It is a complete nonsense, and uh, I'm actually hoping to explore these sort of concepts a little bit further. I'm, I'm interviewing very very soon both uh, Professor Peter Bogosian and Helen Pluckrosen. That this is at the heart of the things like the grievance studies affair. You've just heard this, people, and you've gone, what on earth is well, that? Yeah. I want you to look up 2 plus 2 equals 5 and James Lindsay in New Discourses. He has He's a mathematician. Mm-hmm. He has been at the forefront fighting this critical mathematics now uh, for years. And the problem is, is they're introducing this to our primary schoolers. Yes, definitely. Um I work with a wonderful professional development practitioner, Charlotte Wilkinson, and um, she has also expressed a few misgivings about the the new curriculum. There's a lot that has been infused in it that would, to the naked eye, so to speak, would look worthy, I guess, but in actual fact is so underhand and so indoctrinated or indoctrinating mm. it is it is a worry it is so, a worry so to anyone listening today so we've sort of covered off uh, things with <laughs> exemptions if they need other information around homeschooling or they've already started the homeschooling julie you've got some resources at the arc education i do indeed how do they um, find those so um, if you just come on to um, the ARC Education website, which is www.thearcheducation.co.nz, and look under resources, you'll see that there is some information around exemptions under resources. I have links to two people that could possibly help you with your exemptions and with any questioning around homeschooling as as experts. One of them is um, Nikki Zanchi, who is actually my ex-partner <laughs> in crime, so to speak. Nikki has taught, homeschooled her kids. She's actually a qualified teacher, but she homeschooled her kids for 25 years. Incredibly lovely, generous, lovely lady. And, and if you do need help, she um she would possibly be somebody that you could get hold of. And the other one is Cynthia Hancox, who is our basically New Zealand's homeschooling community representative to the ministry, and she does a lot of work. There's a link to her website, which has example exemptions that you can purchase mm. off her. If you need somebody to talk to and you can't get hold of anyone, I am more than happy to have a chat with you and give you as much advice as I can. 
Um, yeah, I, I really recommend that you try and connect with your local homeschooling community because most most areas do have a homeschooling community. If you're finding that you're not <laughs> you're not connecting with them in in any kind of visceral way, which is which has been a little bit of a problem because of what I said before, you know, that these are these a bit of a disconnect between the old community yeah. and the, the and the new community. I would suggest that you put it out there that you're wanting to connect with new homeschoolers, develop your own communities. Mm. And, and don't be afraid to look at the Wanangas either, because I know absolutely, I, yeah, and and also have a look at Takura if if that is because you can do you can do a sort of a blended thing if you're if you're afraid of how to teach your child, Takura is a good option actually. Mm. There are options. There are options. Not that I don't want to encourage people to send their kids to school, I would really love us to be able to shift that whole schooling space into a more inclusive, dare I say it, <laughs> truly authentically inclusive space where children's needs are met. Mm. But at the moment, that is not the case. And yeah. I, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say that even though I am teaching part-time at the moment in the school it is very obvious to me the the, the enormous holes mm. in the net yeah absolutely hey look Kelly that's this is awesome as always I've been talking to Kelly Valudos from the ARC Education and as she said, if you need some more information, www.thearcheducation.co.nz. Uh, and I always get Kelly back because if I need to talk education, she's my gal. Uh, so thank you so much. Don't <laughs> disappear. You, There's still plenty more here to come with counterculture, including the woke news of the week. And of course, Marty is back with Media Matters here on RCR. This is Counterculture with Marie Buskey. Wednesdays at 10 a.m. on Reality Check Radio.